Good morning, church. It is good to see you. I, it's been a whole week, so I get to tell you again, I love you and I appreciate you. I am so incredibly thankful for you. We are finishing up this morning our series on gratitude, 30 Days of Thanks. And I want to start by, by telling you something that we struggle with in my house. I don't know if you all struggle with this in your house or if you've noticed this about yourself. I've noticed my, my tendency to use exaggerated language like always and never. Have you, do, you, do you find yourself saying those types of things even when they're not actually literally true? Like when you say to somebody who's doing something that they shouldn't be doing, you say you always do that. Or when they're not doing something that they should be doing, maybe it's your kid, maybe it's your spouse, and you say you never help me with this, or you never do what you're supposed to do. Do you find yourself using that type of exaggerated language? I know in my house, we struggle with that. We struggle with saying always and never. And what we're, what we're doing is we're taking what's happening in that circumstance right then, in the present, and we're projecting that onto the, the past and the future. We say this is never going to get any better and you're never going to do anything differently and you're always doing this and this is the way you always are and we're taking our present circumstance and we're looking back at the past through that lens and we're looking into the future through that lens and all we're really seeing is the present circumstance. And I bring that up to say this, that it's hard to maintain gratitude when our outlook on life is limited to our present situation. Isn't that true? That it's hard to maintain gratitude. And that's what this series is all about. It's about maintaining gratitude. Because it's easy to be grateful and thankful and to, to think about the things for which you're thankful when everything is going good, when the present circumstance is good, when it's comfortable, when it's easy, it's easy in the present circumstance to say, thank you, God, that I'm really comfortable right now. Thank you that I'm full and thank you that I'm happy and thank you that everything is going my way. But that's not every circumstance, is it? There's so many situations in our life that aren't like that. But we want to be able to maintain gratitude on the comfortable days and on the uncomfortable days when we have plenty and when we are in need. We want to be grateful on the easy days and on the hard days, but it's hard to maintain gratitude when our outlook on life is limited to our present situation. I, I know that we can see that in children. When I was a child, I'm sure that there were many times I was incredibly ungrateful to my parents, right? You, you never support me or you always do this or not appreciating what they did for me or not appreciating what they were doing for me and only looking at the present circumstance, not remembering all the things that they did for me, especially because when you're a kid, there's a lot of things your parents did for you like bring you into the world and change your diapers and a lot of things that they did for you that you, you can't, you literally can't even remember. But as your, as your maturity grows, as, as you get older and you can remember more and see more, your perspective changes and it, and it broadens, the scope of your perspective changes. But let's face it, it's not just kids that struggle with this sort of ingratitude, is it? It's even us as adults. 
how we can get caught up in looking at the world and having a, a scope of our perspective that's limited to what's happened in the last 30 minutes, right? Why are you in a bad mood? Why are you grumpy? Why are you mad? Why are you angry? Because this is my, this is my life right now, is what's happened in the last 30 minutes. But what about if we broaden our perspective to what's happened in the last 30 years? Maybe 60 years. Well, it's possible that even if we look at the scope of 30 years or 60 years, we could still be filled with ingratitude because we could look at our life and you say, but look, my life has been pretty rotten. And over the last 60 years, a lot of bad things have happened. Or, or we, might, we might look at that and say that some good stuff has happened in the last 30 years or 60 years. And some may even have a perspective that's as broad as the last 300 years. And look at things through a historical perspective that looks at everything that's happened in our national history. But even that's not wide enough. Even that scope of a historical perspective is not broad enough. We need a historical perspective that includes the last 3,000 years. We need a, a historical perspective that includes the cross, don't we? We need a historical perspective that's broader than just what's happened in the last 30 minutes, but we also need a historical perspective that's broader than what's happened in my own lifetime or what's happened in our, our national history. We need a historical perspective that's not just personal and not even just my family and not even just our nation, but, but one that includes everything that God has done. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So Psalm 105, Psalm 105, this is going to be our text. And I really want us to focus on gratitude that comes from having a broader perspective. A broader perspective, again, when we're a kid, we, we focus too much on what's happened in the last 30 minutes. But even as we age... We have a perspective that focuses on what's happened in our lifetime. But we really need to get out of the habit of just remembering what's happened to us personally. Or even what's happened to us nationally. And, and have a perspective that includes everything that God has done for his people. So Psalm 105 and verse 1. The psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Now, I wish we had time to just sit in these two verses right here. But notice he says, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the, what? Peoples. Not, not people, people singular, but, but peoples, plural, people groups, all of the nations of the world. The psalmist is calling God's people to make known the deeds of God amongst the peoples, the people groups, the ethnicities of the world. To make known to the entire world all the wonderful things that God has done. Now we have an English word that comes from a Greek word that's evangelism. You know the word evangelism? Now when I was growing up, Anytime somebody started talking about evangelism, it kind of made me nervous, right? Because I felt like an evangelist was kind of like a salesman, right? Somebody that's just got to sell Christianity to somebody or somebody that has to explain all the rules 
Or somebody that's got to talk somebody into getting baptized. That's what evangelism is, is you got to talk somebody into getting baptized. Do you know that's not what the word really means? It comes from the word for good news. Good news. That, that's, that's who we are. We're good news people. Evangelism means the proclamation of the good news. And this isn't something new. And it really, it really goes even back before the cross. Evangelism is telling the peoples, telling the world, telling the nations, telling everyone who will hear all the wonderful things that God has done. Evangelism is just proclaiming all of the wonderful works that God has done. Now, hopefully, there's a response to that. This is, I want in on that. I want some of that. I want to be part of that. But you don't, have to, you don't have to talk somebody into getting baptized to be an evangelist. You're just simply proclaiming all that God has done. Make known his deeds among the peoples. That's what we're doing when we evangelize. That's why we've said every week during the series that the world needs to hear the church give thanks This is what this psalm begins by saying. Make known his deeds among the peoples. The world needs to hear God's people tell them what God has done. That's our job is to proclaim his glory. Is to let the world know this is who our God is. These are the things that he has done. Especially in what he has done in the cross. What he has done for the peoples. What he has done for us in sending his only begotten son. This is our calling. This is our life. This is our task. This is our joy to make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Tell of all his wondrous works. The world needs to hear the church tell of all. His wondrous works. This, this place, whether you're watching online or you're right here in this room, this place, this hour, Sunday morning, should not be the only time during the week that we tell of all his wondrous works. Amen? We've got to be a people that we can't help. We can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. We can't help but sing it. We can't help but tell it. We can't help but proclaim it. We can't help but share it because of what God has done. Not just what God has done in my lifetime. Not what God has done in the last 30 minutes. Not what God has done in the last 30 years. Not what God has done even in the last 300 years. But what God has done in, over the course of thousands of years. Tell of all his wondrous works. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Look at verse 3. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord, what? Rejoice. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Now, why does he say, if you're seeking the Lord... If you're seeking the Lord and you're seeking his presence and you're seeking his strength, what should you do? You should rejoice. Why? What's implied with that? Let those who seek the Lord rejoice. Well, the implication is if you seek him, you will find him, right? Isn't that what Jesus says? If you knock, 
He'll open. If you seek him, you'll find. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Matthew 7, 7. He says in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If you seek him, you're going to find him. So rejoice. But, but notice that, that tension, that paradox there. When you're seeking him, you rejoice. You rejoice in the seeking because you know that in the seeking you will find even before you have found. Even before you found his presence, even before you found his strength, even before you found his help, even while you're still seeking, even while you're still knocking, even while you're still looking, you rejoice because we rejoice in hope. We rejoice knowing what will happen because of who God is. See, that's what this series has been all about, is that remembering what God has done in the past gives us confidence in the present about the future. See how that works? When we know the past and we know what God has done in the past, then we have confidence in the present about the future. But when we're looking at the entire world through the lens of our present circumstance, rather than what God has done in the past over the last 2,000 years, 3,000 years, rather than looking at everything through that lens, what God has done for his people throughout thousands of years, we look at the whole world through our present circumstance, well, then it's going to look pretty dim and it's going to look pretty dark, isn't it? But when we look at it through everything that God has done, then we know even while we're seeking his presence, even while we're seeking his strength, even when we're seeking his help, we know we're going to find it. So if we seek, we should rejoice because we rejoice, we seek with anticipation. We don't seek with doubt. Look at verse 5. He says, and this might be the most important word of this entire text, remember, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. As we've said every week, Thanksgiving should be anchored in theology, right? Thanksgiving should be anchored in good theology. Being thankful is anchored in who God is. That's what theology is, the study of who God is. So our thanksgiving is anchored in theology. Our rejoicing is anchored in remembering, right? Our rejoicing is anchored in remembering. We rejoice because we remember. We remember his wondrous works that he has done. And who does he tell this to? Who does the psalmist tell this to? Who is supposed to rejoice in what God has done? Who is it that's supposed to remember? It's the offspring of Abraham, the people of Israel. And who's that? Well, in Jesus, that's, that's y'all. That's all y'all. That's all of us, isn't it? We have been, through Jesus, added, adopted, grafted into the family of Abraham. So that's us. And when he tells Israel, when he tells God's people, remember his wondrous works he's not just saying hey remember what God did for you yesterday remember what God did for you 10 years ago or remember what God did for you 30 years ago or 40 years ago he's not telling them to remember what happened in their lifetime that's that is a very limited perspective but when we think back when we remember when we count our blessings that's what we tend to do isn't it 
We tend to look back at our lifetime, or maybe we look back at our parents' lifetime or our grandparents' lifetime, but still, even that is a limited perspective. When he tells them, remember the wondrous works of your God, he's telling them to look back over the scope, over the history of everything God has done for their people and for us. This is us. This is our story. See, this is how we have to read scripture. That this is our family story. This is our family story. This is what God has done for his people. Look at verse 7. He says, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statue, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Again, this psalm is to be sung in the present, in the present, in every present circumstance, right? Israel was supposed to sing this psalm over and over and over and over again, generation after generation after generation, on the good days and on the bad days, on the comfortable days and on the uncomfortable days, on the days where everything seemed to be going right and on the days where everything seemed to be falling apart. Sing it all of the time in the present about the past so that you have confidence for the future. So you know what God is going to do in the future based on what God has done in the past. Not, not your past, not your individual personal past, not even what he's done over the last generation or two, but what God has done over the course of hundreds, if not thousands of years. Have that in your mind. Sing that song so that you know that God, what? Remembers his covenant forever. That's what this psalm is all about. Remember that God remembers. Remember. No matter what's going on in your life, especially on the hard days, especially on the difficult days, rejoice. Give thanks. Praise God. Because you remember that God remembers. God remembers his covenant forever. God hasn't forgotten. God doesn't forget his promises to his people. God made promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And to you, through Jesus, you're part of these promises. You're part of these covenants. He says in verse 12, when they were few in number, when Israel was few in number of little account and sojourners in it, in the land, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. You remember when Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they were nomads. They had nothing. They had tents and herds, but they had no land. All they had was a promise. A promise. And they, they went from generation after generation after generation, hundreds of years, just traveling with nothing but, but a promise. But, but God didn't forget them. During all of their traveling, during all of their years, during all of their time, no matter what was going on, God remembered the promise that he made to them. And he never stopped working on their behalf. He says in verse 16, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was 
sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Do you remember Joseph had dreams about being glorified, about being lifted up. And he, he knew that someday people were going to bow down before him. Even his brothers, even his father was going to bow down before him. He knew that these things were going to come to pass. But in the middle of it all, his brother sold him as a slave into Egypt. And then even after he was sold as a slave, then he was in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And God never forgot the promises that he made to Joseph. But the people of Israel and the church were supposed to sing this song not because of what God did for Joseph, but because Joseph is, is the embodiment of the people. And God never forgot his promises to his people. God always remembered. So you need to remember. So Israel needs to remember. So God's people need to remember that God remembers. God never forgets the promises he makes to his people. God had not forgotten his covenant. Look at verse 20. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Do you remember? Joseph is not only set free from prison, but he's lifted up and exalted and glorified to second in command in Egypt. He's over all of the Egyptian elders and rulers. It's amazing. And, and why is the psalmist saying this in this psalm? Because Israel needs to sing this song. God's people need to sing this song because there's going to be days where you're not glorified. There's going to be days where you're imprisoned. But God hasn't forgotten his promises. God hasn't forgotten his covenant. Remember what God did for Joseph. Not only was he freed, but he ended up being a ruler. He ended up ruling over the princes and elders of Egypt. Look at verse 23. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. You see, God brought all of Israel, the brothers and all of their children, their wives, they all came to Egypt and they became strong. Why? Because God doesn't forget his promises. But then the people of Egypt began to hate and imprison the Israelites, the Hebrews. And they, they, they were slaves for hundreds of years. But even during all of that time, God had not forgotten his covenant. God remembered. And again, why is Israel singing this song? Why are we singing this song? Because there may be times where for decades... Or maybe even for generations. It's challenging and difficult and uncomfortable. But God has not forgotten his covenant. God remembers his people. Remember what God has done. Verse 26. After generations went by of them living as slaves, he sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of the kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees 
and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land, their first fruits of all their strength. Now, that sounds pretty negative to us, doesn't it? It sounds pretty negative to us because we've never been slaves, probably. We've never lived under that kind of oppression. But to God's people, remembering back that God delivers his people, they could look back at those ten plagues and say, God will go to any length necessary to deliver his people because God does not forget us. Even though we were slaves for generations and generations and generations and generations, God did not forget us. God delivered us. God rescued us. God saved us. He went to any length necessary. He brought the most powerful kingdom in the world to its knees in order to bring us out. Look at verse 37. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold. And there was none among, the, none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night. God wouldn't stop until they let his people go. And God wants his people to continue to sing this song generation after generation after generation on the good days and the bad days because it's important that they not look at their life that they not look at their present or their future through the lens of what's going on in the present circumstance. It's important that they not look at their present or their future through the lens of what's happened in my lifetime. That's much too limited of a scope. It's even too limited of a scope to look at what's going on through the lens of what's happened over the last couple of generations. God wants them to look at the present and the future through what's happened in the past over the course of hundreds of years. I do not forget my covenant. I do not forget my promises. I do not forget my people. That's what God wants them to remember, to sing this song year after year, generation after generation, no matter what's going on in the present, your present doesn't define and it doesn't limit your future. Your future should be looked at and seen through the perspective of what God has done for his people in the past, a broader historical perspective. Look at verse 40. He says, they asked and he brought quail, and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. What is a fact in this psalm is that God remembers. What is the question is, does his people or do his people remember? God remembers do his people remember? God remembers, do you remember? God remembers, do we remember? Do we remember what God has done for his people? God doesn't forget. 
God doesn't forget on the bad days. God doesn't forget on the uncomfortable days. God doesn't forget when we're enslaved. God doesn't forget when we're oppressed. God doesn't forget when we're in prison. God doesn't forget when we're hurting. God doesn't forget when we're cold. But do we? Do, do we forget on those days? On those days where we're cold, on those days where we're hurting, on those days where we're sick, on those days where we're hungry, do we project that onto the future and say, well, oh, this is always the way it is and God just never takes care of me and God just never blesses me and God just always, or, or do we even project what's happened in our lifetime? Well, that's my luck, you know, things are always going that way for me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not have such a limited perspective of just what's happened over the course of the last 30 minutes or 30 years or 300 years for that matter. Let's look at the future through the lens of what God has done for his people because God doesn't forget and neither should we. Look at verse 43. He says, so he brought his people out with joy his chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the lands of the nations and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Joy, singing, praise. Make known among the peoples what he has done. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Have joy, rejoice, praise him. Because of what he's done. This is what he's done. God always remembers. God always delivers. God always comes through. Maybe not on the timeline that you and I would wish he would. But, but that's why we've got to have a broader scope. We have to have a broader perspective than just what's happened in the last 30 minutes. Or what's happened in the last 30 days. Or what's happened in the last 30 years. Or even what's happened in the last 300 years. We have to have a broader perspective of what God has done for his people. And how we are part of this. This is how we have to study the Bible. We shouldn't just study the Bible and say, hey, give me some practical tips how to make it through the day. You study the Bible, just, you know, give me some inspiring little quote so that I can write it down and, you know, make it through the day. We, we've got to have a, a bigger vision here to say this this story of scripture, this narrative, it's, it's our story. It's our family story. We're adopted into this story through Jesus. That through Jesus, God has shown up. Through, God, through Jesus, God has kept his promises. Through Jesus, God has remembered. And now you're part of this story. And so you can know on the good days and the bad days, on the comfortable days and on the uncomfortable days, that God does not forget see when we have this broad perspective of everything God has done for his people and when our broad perspective includes the cross then we can have a gratitude and a joy that's not shaken here's where I want us to end today your gratitude is only limited by the scope of your perspective we have to have a perspective that's broad enough that it includes the cross and the empty tomb. And if our perspective always includes the cross and the empty tomb, th then we know, we win. We know God always remembers his people. God will always deliver his people. Sure, 
I, I, might, I don't know what's going to happen over the next 30 or 40 years. The rest of my life might be a miserable mess. I might not even live to see tomorrow. I have no idea what's going to happen over the scope of my lifetime. But hopefully, the scope of my perspective is bigger than just my lifetime. Hopefully, the scope of all of our perspective is bigger than just what's happened in the last 30 minutes or the last 30 days or the last 30 years or the last 300 years. Hopefully, the scope of our perspective includes the cross and the empty tomb. And if it does, then our gratitude can't be shaken. Oh, sure, there's going to be days where we're not giddy. There's going to be days where we're not smiling. There's going to be days where it's hard. There's going to be days where we lament. There's going to be days where we weep and cry. But even in spite of our grief, we can rejoice and have gratitude and thanksgiving because our perspective is big enough that it includes the cross and the empty tomb. That's the story that we're stepping into when we're baptized. Not only are we seeking personal forgiveness, and yes, that's part of it, and the spirit to come and live in us, yes, amen and amen, but we're stepping into a story. We're adopting a story. We're being adopted into a story that's bigger than ourselves so that the scope of our perspective isn't just what's happened in my lifetime, so that the scope of our perspective is the entire story. And so we say, I'm part of that. I'm part of the people that were delivered from Egypt, and I'm part of the people that have been delivered through Jesus from the bondage to sin and death. We step into that story at baptism, but then we're reminded of it weekly, aren't we? And hopefully daily. Weekly when we break the bread and we share the cup and we're reminded this is the story that we're a part of. This is the story we're all a part of. And then every day we wake up, we need to remind ourselves and remind each other this is the story that we're a part of. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I lose that perspective. And I get, I get this, this singular focus on what's going on right now. What's going on in my present circumstance? And it's hard to maintain gratitude when we see the whole world through the lens of what's going on right now. And I need you to remind me, Wes, your, big, your story is bigger than what's going on right now. You're part of a story that's bigger than what's happened in 2020. You're part of a story that's, that's bigger than what's happened in the last thousand years. You're, you're, you're part of a story that's bigger than any of those things. You're part of a story that includes God showing up. God sending his own son to die for us, set us free. You're part of that story. And I need you to remind me of that. We need to remind each other of that. And the world needs to hear us tell the world, proclaim the good things, the wondrous deeds of our God. And in order for us to do that and fulfill that, we have to remember this is the story that we're a part of. And if we can help remind you of that, or if we can help you step into that through baptism, or we can pray for you or encourage you, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. You can visit with one of our shepherds at the information desk as together we stand and sing this song.